everyone, it's Josh. Just before we start the episode, I just wanted to let you know that there were a few technical difficulties and the sound is a little funky fresh, but we had a great discussion and I hope you enjoy. Screen, a podcast where we deconstruct a film each episode and talk about its cultural relevance. I'm Josh Tregenza, and joined with me, as always, is the double down danger himself, Damien Danaher. How are we, Damien? I am fantastic, mate. How are you going? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. We got That's through the first want. week, and now we're just. ready. Just. And we're just we're... so ever so, like by the skin of our teeth. Oh, it was. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, first episode in, I'm not, uh, you know, there's not the uh, the angry mob at our, our doorstep, so that's uh, well, good news. Well, yeah, give it time. Give it time, mate. First episode, uh, first episode done. Uh, we're doing all right. Uh, we're, we're still here. We're still, uh, we're still kicking. And we're, uh, we're going to be uh, finishing off uh, kind of our DC uh, movie uh, battle. I guess that is the right word for it. I guess would be the more polite version. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to be polite. <laughs> Let's look at it at the uh, conclusion of our discussion of the DC film universe, blissfully at least uh, for the moment, until uh, Suicide Squad comes out in August. But uh, we wanted to cap this off with uh, doing a God help us all retrospective look back at uh, how this uh, blessed mess all began, which is, of course, with the uh, birth of the first film in this uh, new cinematic universe, Man of Steel. Correct. Where it all started, the origin of <coughs> Superman, or at least a person we're calling Superman. I think I, I think we'll uh, find, you know, uh, towards the end of this discussion that I think we'll agree, basically, wasn't so much Superman so much as an alien creature that happened to look and act and basically be Superman, but not in any of the ways that actually counted. Absolutely. But this, I think this film, like, at, before it came out, there was a lot of um, anticipation for it. A lot of high hopes for it. I think that part of that was basically because the last time they actually tried to reboot um, the, the franchise itself or just like the character of Superman on film even was, um, well, uh, leaving aside the, the Smallville series, um, was, you know, uh, Brian Singer's 2006 Superman Returns with uh, Brandon Routh, which, I mean, will be remembered for a whole mess of things. Kevin Spacey's mostly hilarious Turner's uh, Lex Luthor, uh, the absolutely ill-advised introduction of uh, Superboy or Superbaby or whatever you want to call him. But uh, mostly I think it's going to be remembered for being incredibly boring. And, of course, adding another tally to the James Marsden can't catch a break in any of the films he's in. I feel so bad for that guy because he's done nothing but right by everyone. And yet he's done... He's done... <laughs> People have done him wrong hey man he was in hairspray and he didn't win or lose which is a win for him he can take that he can take that with him wherever he goes he can take that to the grave i was in hairspray and it was all right and, <laughs> and, 
I was in the Straw Dogs reboot. Oops. Oh, Tim. <laughs> I like how you can just, like, slip and fall and accidentally get up and suddenly you're in an utterly ill-advised remake of a perfect Sam Peckinpah film. You know, how, has that ever happened to you? It happened once. It was... Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a story for another time. <laughs> Alright, I'm, yes, I'm, 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 I'm going to be the adult here and steer this shit back onto the path that I should, I should point out to you is that we made a concerted and definitive agreement that we were going to make this podcast uh, significantly shorter than the first one and uh, I think you'll all be pleased to see that uh, that's going terribly so far. Absolutely. Yeah, but, so, but this, yeah, this was like, uh, Superman Returns was the, basically it ended the, um, the Reeves uh, Superman era, uh, for better or for worse. Well, it was, for, of, it was of happiness and hope, yeah. Yeah. There, you know, and it, you know, three and four weren't particularly good films. Um, I would argue they were appalling films. Yeah. Well, you know, up against uh, up against Returns and, uh, and Man of Steel, they're, uh, they're not half bad. But, uh, yeah, it's Ouch, so... Ouch, but also, yes. Yeah, so this is, you know, and then... You know, of course, Snyder coming off, uh, coming off Watchmen, and then uh, Sucker Punch. Um, you know, Sucker Punch. At you know, at the time, we still felt pretty confident in in Snyder's ability to pull uh, to pull off a good film, particularly around uh, superheroes, uh, with Watchmen. So we were all pretty excited to see what I was happening. I think it was uh, the 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 combo of Watchmen and Sucker Punch basically. Um, alluded to the audience that as long as his hands didn't touch the story or script, mm. Snyder could make a good movie. Unfortunately, uh, as with uh, Batman vs. Superman, um, Goya, David S. Goya was part of, uh, of this production as well. Who, and you can, uh, you can give us a brief history on uh, this man's involvement with the DC universe in uh, terms of its filmic universe, because this man had his fingerprints on everything not everything. just uh, so, not, 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 not just, just dc blade. not just dc he did uh, he had his uh, hands in blade which is where he should have stayed uh, back in uh, you know back in that era where it you could be uh, campy and uh, over dramatic um, and bombastic in the in uh, in what you were putting on on screen because no one gave a shit um, as soon as you know the Batman uh, Nolan trilogy came along. Um, you know, Goya was starting to warp it, and this is a man who is a uh, a movie writer. He's not. He's. I think he's touched about two or three comic books, um, but he does doesn't have uh, the talent or 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 really an understanding of these characters to truly do them justice. And yet this is a man that's called upon again and again to actually uh, faithfully translate said characters to the screen. It, it, it astounds me. What what dirt does he have on the WB to be able to keep getting these roles? Or is it just WB's uh, sheer incompetence where they think that this is the best that they can do, even though they have uh, literally all of the DC... Uh, comic book writers at their disposal as they effectively own that comic book uh, company. I couldn't possibly say. You'd have to assume that 
incompetence wouldn't play a part, but you know what, man, I, I don't actually know. But I mean, so let's um let's uh have a very brick <clears throat> sorry, a very quick uh look at uh basically so we've come off of the uh back of the uh for better or for worse, depending on your opinion of the situation, the critically lauded and universally publicly acclaimed uh Nolan trilogy. Mm-hmm. That basically took a character that, um, you know, even even though original appearances may say to the contrary, is a fantastical character, mm. is an utterly illogical character, not only in the uh, breadth. I mean, you read like a, a new article every couple of months about saying exactly how rich Bruce Wayne would have to be to be able to do all the shit that he does. But leaving aside all of that, just the zeal and the the fanaticism of the character in the comic books they basically departed all of that <clears throat> to uh you know do the nolan films and we discussed this last week but basically uh contrary to every other comic story or even movie this is a man who did not in any way or shape want to be batman mm-hmm. and then so tied into the the more kind of i mean you look at the the more uh at least not if not like uh plausible villains at least the more sort of i guess like like uh anatomically like sort of plausible you know once you don't see any of uh, the more fantastical villains of like the batman's gone up against in his life you see russ sorry is it race or russ it's a uh, rush i believe i believe it has a um it has a role to it at the start I believe right it's yeah the, uh, the proper uh arabic pronunciation of it Please sure. if I'm wrong about that. Sizable Arab uh, audience that we've got. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I shouldn't I shouldn't discriminate. I'm sure never mind. Never no, mind. if you are, please please let us know. I really do want to uh, make sure that I'm getting that pronunciation right because I do try and make sure that it is uh, uh, you know, the correct one, particularly for uh, Rush. Um, because that shit matters. Um you know, they, <laughs> they made fun of it in uh, Batman Begins, I believe. It's like, is it is it Rush or Rage? Oh, yes. I, I remember yeah. that, yeah. And I so sort they of... even made fun of that. Um, and then I believe they still got it uh, incorrect. So, you know. So, I mean, you yeah, but I mean, like, to leave aside that sort of stuff, I mean, you have Russ Al Ghul or however you, you desire to pronounce mm. him. You have the Joker, you have, uh, you know, Bane, which although in the comics he's this, you know, eight-foot-tall Latino giant, they found a way to sort of transmute and reduce or whatever you want to call it him into the yeah, into the film. There was no Robin. There was no extended sort of uh, universe. The Batcave was very minimalist. It was, uh, I mean, even like, you know, in uh, Dark Knight Rises, you know, there was these kind of like hints towards the... Uh, um, the the pit of um, what do you call it? Oh, the Lazarus pit. Lazarus pit, basically mm-hmm. of you know, eternal life and everything like that. And even that was transmuted and uh, changed into uh, he achieves uh, eternal life through the works of others. So they then turned like they turned that fantastical element into something that was realistic and plausible. And so, I mean, if we look at all of that and the the structure of all of those movies and then basically take it forward to Nolan deciding that uh, he had the the way to reboot this property. And then it was Goya to help him and we basically uh, find themselves 
teaming up with uh, Snyder, who is a has a proven track record as a visually very exciting director, creative in his shot selection and composition, has imagination, has a love of comic books. He fits all the boxes, and we have this collaboration going forward that, uh, by all accounts, should have created, uh, you know, an amazing film, but then ended up not. Well, yeah, because it was um, as much as... So the uh, Nolan trilogy now doesn't mean anything in terms of, of this universe that they've yes, created. Yes, about to people that have always been confused about this. This is a completely separate world yeah, that these new movies exist in. What doesn't... What... what uh, you know, it was understandable why people are uh, confused about it because, you know, Man of Steel was so reactionary to uh, what was happening in Batman, you know. And came so quickly off the back of those films as well. Absolutely. And, you know, let's get right into it. Um, You know, this is once, this is the origin story of of Superman, um, who is, uh, in this iteration, he is a reluctant hero. He does, well, and, and and this origin story doesn't even play it out like it is really his fault. It is a it is a strange circumstance of uh, his father's uh, using him as a pawn to whatever end that they deem is uh, is necessary for that particular point of time. I'm sure we can talk about this later, but my initial uh, question to that was, which father do you mean? But of course, as we'll find out as we discuss further, it could be either one. Absolutely, and that's it is. It is a it is a frustrating film in, in that and you know a lot of what we've said in Batman versus Superman uh, still you know it started here you know pacing is is off um, you know, characterizations are just not quite right it's just it's it has all of the pieces there that it could be a very good film but it just falls short. Well, let's try and go through this beat by beat then. So uh, if we like, just look at the, like all the major story beats of the film, let's start with the first and the biggest, obviously the birth of Superman. Yeah. So, and this is, you know, birth of Superman, you know, this is a, is a crazy departure because it, um, it brings to light that um, Superman is, is uh, an even more special child than he already would be. Um, he was, you know, he started off as just a child of a distant planet that was uh, doomed, and his parents uh, were uh, highly scientific, and they uh, were able to um, jettison him off the planet uh, to be safe. Um, you know, these were very loving parents that only wanted the best for their newborn child. In this version, uh, uh, Kal El is the first uh, naturally conceived child in centuries uh, because it is a very socialist uh, planet that Krypton is uh, where each child is uh, is basically born in a organic test tube and, and is this true in the film itself or is this a lift from the comics no this is this is this is new to the the film um, Superman was always just, he was just an average person on, he would be an average person on Krypton, uh, 
um, he would be free to choose between, I think, I believe there were uh, three sections, uh, well, three main um, guilds of the planet, uh, the science, the, uh, the military, and I believe it's agriculture. Um, you know, th those were the three three main ones that you could kind of choose th from in that society. But Just a thoroughly curious notion, considering if you uh, re recall the uh, film's depiction of the planet, that seemed like a, a location where uh, subsistence farming of any kind hadn't been practiced in centuries. Well, because of the heavy, the, the ham-fisted uh, statement of they uh, are ruined. They've ruined the planet by they uh, depleted all of the uh, the natural resources, and of course, uh, that caused their planet to explode. Uh, not just the the sheer, uh, you know, the the planet itself. Just this is this is what happens to a planet over time. You know, it dies. No, it is the cause of the people. In this very uh, Giger esque. Uh, depiction of Krypton you know the previous times we had seen it all uh, crystallized you know that's that's so, that's so correct I'd never really thought of that that it was actually like there is that kind of like uh, you know uh, Giger or Geigernest um, you know uh, for the viewers who uh, don't know H.R. Geiger was the uh, Hungarian-born visual artist who basically designed um, the alien of uh, really Scott's eponymous movie and uh, so you have this uh, very curious and mildly offsetting uh, marriage of technology and organic life that brings across this uh, very sort of uh, a strange notion of something that uh, is mechanical but also alive and it's off-putting because of that. And, yeah, it, it had never occurred to me that that was actually the design choice that they made there but it absolutely is even in the costuming yeah and it is it is so the way far the way the arm the way the armor grows mm. onto them yeah the the masks are very much uh <clears throat> what we uh would then see in uh prometheus uh at, for the uh the engineers it's fascinating you say that because then you also see it i don't know if you saw much of uh uh neil blumkamp's concept art for his I have, yes, yes. It looks very much like it. Water Daily and Fire film, but yeah, a lot of the his um uh, concept art for uh Ridley sorry not Ridley, Ripley, beg your pardon, mm -hmm. uh, in her spacesuit is this very almost like he's basically taken uh Geiger's work and run with it. It's very organic, very kind of almost um membraneish uh spacesuit, which um isn't a surprise really because Geiger a lot of his work, if you've seen any of his other stuff, is very kind of uh, like uncomfortably sexual in nature. I mean, uh, one of his most uh, prominent uh, art books was, um, and I'm not going to get the name right, but was basically uh, uh, Necrophiliac Volume 1 or something like that. This like fine marriage of technology and death and sex. Yeah, and this is... and. It's very strange for a Superman film to have and that so, sort of uh, design uh, and so aesthetic to it. I think, um, like, I mean, that design aesthetic, aesthetic aside for the second, do you think that this uh, uh, decision to um, basically jack up the stakes of um, 
the leaving Krypton and everything like that from basically just this is a planet at the end of its life to this is a planet that has been forcibly mined into destruction. Is this um, is this like a moral, like, you know, sort of a bit of speechifying here? Or do you think this is uh, just uh, the studio or the writers or Snyder's notion of, like, in this modern audience, what will they understand? Will they understand a planet, like, you know, billions of years in the future just basically giving up the ghost? Or do you think, like, we need that kind of violent abuse of the planet to sort of truly... Like, uh, sort of uh, sympathise with the, the situation because we can basically go, oh, I see, uh, that's what we're going to be in 100 years. I, I think it, it would be if it kept it going and if in some in some ways that it uh, didn't just use it as the excuse for the, uh, right. the planet. Um, because there was, there was a lot of stuff in that history that, uh, <clears throat> you know, didn't make sense. And we were, if we just, like, leave forth for a second and talk about the... Uh, the Krypton ship in the Antarctic, him uh, talking with uh, the hologram yeah, the, of yeah, the uh, ship. of uh, Jor-El and him basically saying that, uh, oh, we were explorers and then suddenly we weren't. Yeah, and it, and it there just was stopped. No explanation as to why they suddenly stopped this, you know, uh, celestial colonization. It was basically just because, like, narratively speaking, it was expedient for us to abandon outward travel and have only one planet left that we could live on and then when the planet just was destroyed that's a dramatic moment i mean it just doesn't scan it doesn't it doesn't stack up it's um it is it's is another uh, another oddity of this film it is um the isolation that it's creating where yeah um yes these things happen but nothing else happened with it um where you know in the in the comics you know there is the the cousin planet of Krypton uh, called Daxum, which is uh, basically everyone uh, is as powerful as a as a Krypton uh, in the a Kryptonian under the uh, the yellow sun, um, but uh, they also have a, a deathly uh, allergic reaction to lead. Um, so they're and they're the closest planet to them, um, but they've cut themselves off. Uh, from the, I guarantee the we will never hear a peep about them never. in the movies, and, ever. And we, no, we, and we never will because they've already set up the fact that uh, any colony that uh, that tried to uh, voyage out of the uh, the planet Krypton, uh, they died. And then they were... Uh, For no particular reason. No particular reason, other than to maybe explain why uh, the because... army... Is, uh, because is now the script required, they do. Yeah, exactly. And it was, uh, you know, it's very strange. And then they bring in this, it reminds me of, uh, you know, Transformers. Um, you know, it's the codex. You know, it's the buzzword. Which, which I'm sure is not a comparison Snyder and Co were hoping for. But, and yet it, it is, it is continued. We said it, we said it, you know, once, once again, we've said it in, in Batman vs Superman that this is, you know, people are enjoying this in the same way that they're, they're enjoying Transformers, um, and and now you know a you know a week on you know this is now two weeks on from um, it being shown. Um, Batman vs Superman just wasn't isn't holding up to snuff as uh, as a uh, Transformers would. It um, no no Transformers would continue. 
And I think the reason because of that is basically because when someone sees a Transformers movie, they kind of, they know what they're going to get. And Michael Bay, I mean, whatever people want to say about him, he's a man that unabashedly knows exactly what he is as a director. And so when he delivers a product like a Transformers movie or like that God for fucking awful movie, Pain and Gain, or any of those ones, I mean, you may want to you may want to diss him out on it, but I mean, the people that go to see those movies know exactly what they're getting when they walk in. Whereas if you look at Snyder, we had this like conversation last week that Snyder is basically the bastard love child of Nolan and Bay. Mm-hmm. He has the same cinematic and visual inclinations as Bay does, but he has the intellectual narrative aspirations of Nolan. And the problem is, whenever he tries to access that part of it he always fails yeah and it's this um nolan does have this detachment to it um that i believe uh snyder did try and bring across uh with his superman yeah but but he failed though well yeah he did because he, he it was it's a fundamental flaw in the fact that superman is supposed to be uh a very loving person. He he loves the the planet that he is now. Um, of, yeah, yeah. He, and he wants to do everything that he can. Um, and he doesn't want. He wants to make sure that no one can get hurt if possible. That he and Superman finds a way. And yet, the first time that we really like, you know, apart from when he's. When Superman is interacting with another main character, when uh, he first finds the scout ship and Lois Lane uh, comes on board and she's attacked by uh, one of the robots, um, we see Superman um, helping someone uh, by uh, cauterizing her wound and then her screaming blue murder. And it is such a terrifying way to be introduced to... Um, a savior character it is and it kind of it kind of like thematically carries through for the rest of the movie and um it's uh, basically the first uh, step in uh constructing a film that basically um the best way i could describe it i remember like when we first saw it back, you know way back when the best way i could possibly describe that film was that it wasn't i mean as, as we said before i mean like this is not a superman film but what I actually sort of felt it was more like, it, this is a, a science fiction alien among us film mm. happens to be called Superman. And it's kind of curious that this mirrors your uh, designation of um, Nolan's Batman films that we saw last week, that this is a film noir that happens to have Batman in it. And it's funny, like when we talk about the, the difference between like uh, Snyder trying to mirror the... Um, the the kind of intellectual detachment of uh, Nolan. I think the difference is that he tried to apply a, a Batman ethos to a character that, by all you know, sense and purposes, you know, intellectually and you know, ideologically speaking, is meant to be the mirror opposite of Batman. Which, of course, I mean, if that had been the case, would have made the rivalry in uh batman v superman that more powerful and because nolan basically takes batman 
and applies that sense of Kubrickian intellectual detachment that we've discussed before to it. And what manifests is a, a Batman who uh, isn't ideologically secure, isn't uh, emotionally stable, wants to remove himself from the acts that he does as much as humanly possible. And at least for those kind of films, the Nolan versions, that was a valid narrative choice because we were going with this very cerebral interpretation. But if you then take that and transmute it across to Man of Steel and then put the filter through Snyder as well, what was meant to come across as a kind of uh, intellectual detachment comes across instead, and I feel this is the crux of like what the whole movie has gotten wrong, as a sense of not um, deliberate emotional disconnect, but an almost anthropological disinterest. This 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 is a this is a creature that wears the guise of a human, but understands and interacts with humans on only the most base and uh, you know anatomical level almost like i mean like like you said the lowest lane scene like that thing the cauterize and the wound being so uh nonchalant about it this is this is not someone who understands the emotional ins and outs of like what was going through lois's mind in that scene this is just this kind of almost alien curiosity with this wounded creature it's like the same way like we would you know observe a, a wounded animal and Sorry, you, see it, you see it throughout. You see it throughout that that initial uh, chunk of uh, before uh, Clark gets uh, the Superman suit, which he is just given. It's there's no pomp or circumstance to it. It's just here, have this, and then you're Superman. We give you the right to continue it. It's just basically doing it. But yeah, he, um, but yeah. he's bequeathed just because, of course. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep using the phrase, but he's. He's given the suit because the narrative and the script requires that he get in the suit at some point. Yeah, There's absolutely. No I mean, you look at every other Kryptonian uniform, which, like, the suit is basically modelled on, and none, none of the rest of them are like that. None, none of them are of bright. Them, yeah, none of them are coloured. And why, none, did, there's no, why did he no, have there's no colours in any of that, yeah. yeah. The but reason why, why and, he's and why, colourful. And why, yeah, and why did that specific ship have this specific outfit? Yeah, for the L family it doesn't make any sense you know the reason why superman's uh, clothes were the way they are is because it was his baby it was the baby blanket uh, that he was brought on uh, and his mother then uh, his 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 earth mother uh martha Mark, or as we shall always know from yeah martha kent god help us martha all martha kent um uh, you know made this for him you know, out of love, out of uh, understanding that he is to do uh, great things, and uh, which is another, which is another link to uh, uh, the 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 comics sort of, you know, very concerted and deliberate attempt to make this a man of Earth, to link him, you know, as a human being yeah. to these people. This is this is a suit that was crafted by, you know his human surrogate mother and none of that occurs there's none of this humanizing none of this you know and to, close to give to give diane lane's uh martha kent uh credit she uh she is a very loving mother she does uh, think the world of clark and 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 really 
does want what's best for him. Unfortunately, uh, Jonathan Kent, Pa Kent, um, is the complete opposite of that. And I, this is where... Which was also which was in uh, Batman v Superman. We discussed this mm. that uh, you know Mark Kent gave her son some beautiful advice on uh, how to deal with you know world's opinion of him and everything like that. And then not twenty minutes later, uh, Park Kent gives him completely conflicting and uh, to be fair, far more violent advice on uh, what's to go down. And that is, as you say, the crux of the ideological problem with uh, this film's interpretation of superman yeah, that is... uh, the, the primary i mean like in the in batman v superman you of course can argue that uh mark kent was the the primary sort of uh moral center for him as a character because well she's the only one that's still alive but i mean for better or for worse uh pa kent was the motivating force behind him in that entire movie and not only is uh character but also his arc as i'm sure you'll uh explain to us in a second yeah let's get right into was completely incorrect um for how to construct the the true character of what we always thought and knew of as superman so let's let's take it away with that let's talk about talk about the the character the arc of uh park end yeah so so park and this yeah this i have this is consume me throughout the years after seeing this film uh, because it just doesn't make sense to me you know we don't we never we never see uh the kents actually uh find uh baby kal-el uh once he's touched down on earth we never see that interaction uh you know we never see the fact that martha is sterile you know she can't have children um, and and this is a you know this child is a blessing uh, to them that you know this is truly a miracle you know, the, you know we we first see you know Clark doing good because that's his nature and then uh, you know then Park Kent saying you know yeah it's great that you did that but you really shouldn't because if the world finds out things are gonna change and he is so steeped in fear. And, and paranoia that no, I can't let, I can't let this secret get out. But at the same time, he keeps stating to Clark that no, you are different, you are different, and you must keep that inside. And that's which is fascinating, purely because it um, it speaks so much to the uh, Nolan influence, the paranoia, the terror, the fear of the other. That uh, comes through in all of those movies. And this is not what uh, Superman that, should that, be. Exactly, but not, you shouldn't steep it in xenophobia unless you're, uh, unless you're, you know, Zod. Zod is a xenophobic. He hates humanity. Um, in in very much a, a similar way to how like Lucifer um, is stated to hate uh, humanity because uh, they got, you know, gods. You know, they they got jesus christ or they got god's love which uh you know jor-el and and kal-el's love you know let's play right into the, what snyder's doing in uh in showing uh superman as a jesus figure for whatever well reason. i mean yeah i mean we can jump back 
ever so briefly to uh, your, your uh, discussion of how they changed the, the canon so much for this uh, controlled artificial birth. So, I mean, like, it's just, it's just overemphasizing, it, like, straight away, the first natural birth on Krypton in centuries. This is, I mean, aside from the, the Immaculate Conception part, this is basically a miracle birth. This is a Christ-like birth by Kryptonian standards. And it's not the, it's certainly not the last time they go about uh, dishing out the, the Christ allegories in this film. Yeah, and so you've got you've got that you've got you know the the villains are supposed to be the the xenophobic people Zod, uh, Lex Luthor you know there there is this hate of of the other the alien, um, the you know a father. This and you know this doesn't this this stretches out far beyond just a film. A father should be, you know, all inclusive to try and make sure that their child is is doing the best that they can. And Pa Kent doesn't. He no. He does. He does. Doesn't ask him to aspire to be the best that he can be. No, he says he actually. He, he actually. He actually forcibly tells him to pipe the fuck down and like not do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Sit. Sit down. Sit down. We don't want to hear you. You know. We don't want you to to help with this. We've got this. It's that scene in the bus where, um, you know, the aftermath is, uh, you know, a couple of the parents freaking out because they saw what Clark did and him asking, you know, Park Kent, should, like, should I have just let them die? And he says, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah it's like he, he, he has to say, yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. you did the right thing, but at the same time, you know, you could have let them all die because then your secret would have been let out. You see what it's happens a, when you do this. The, again, that fear of the other. That, yeah. uh, look what happens uh, when you look like you're different. Turn, yeah, that at every turn corrupts the manifold and I would suggest core point of Superman that he is the best of us. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he, he strives. He should do the best that, that anyone could. He is able to take the worst scenario possible and make it gold because that's what Superman is able to do. And that is what humans are able to do, I think, is more the point. That he, yes, is, that, yes. that he is able to take, like, you know, any human in that situation, he can make it the best possible situation that a man or a woman or a child could make that situation be. And we never once see that kind of hope. In that film, they talk about hope a lot. They talk yeah. about hope, quote in that movie, and they talk about hope in Batman v Superman even more. But it never once resonates because you don't believe for a second that this character is actually motivated by some kind of overarching sense of uh, good intentions. He's basically just this conflicted being being pressured into doing the right thing because, oh well, people will think ill of me if I don't. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he is. He is given all these things, and he, it's a struggle for him to do it. Now, here's where. So, up until up until all of that with with uh, Parkent, that's okay, because you can turn it around at one pivotal spot. Which yes, is, but let's let's talk about it. His yeah, death. He, yeah, Parkent's death, which is. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I don't know if well, that was the point where I exclaimed 
very loudly in the cinema when we first saw this. Uh, yeah, it was because off. I was sitting right next. Oh, I, yeah. I was sitting right next to you when it happened. So yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I said. Fuck I was me, so. yeah, I, I was <laughs> angry about this because that is not right. So oh really? Uh, so I couldn't, I couldn't tell. <laughs> you were so measured in your opinion of that film throughout the screening. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you could have you could have turned it around at that point because up until that point, Park Kent has been saying no. You need to. You need to sit down. You need to keep the. You know. You need to keep your true self under wraps. You know. Don't let the world see you as it is because they will not accept you. Now, from there, Parkin's like, no, don't, don't save me, don't save me. We can't. You know. You can't let people know who you are. If at that point, Clark then decided, no, I'm not listening to you at this. I know that I can save you. That my own sense of, uh, of anonymity right. is is less important than the good of humanity. Yes, and that's... Uh, that, that I shall put that before my own fears, my own insecurities, because those are Clark Kent problems. And when I'm Superman, I don't have those problems. I'm here to... God forbid, in this movie's opinion, save lives. And it's yeah, it's it, it set it all up for that to be able to reject a father's uh, guidance. Strike out on your own. Yeah, this is you know, this is who I am. You That's know? the thing. Be the best of what has come before, but be better because you know better. And this and oh, it's such a missed opportunity. It really that point could have redefined you know who Park Kent was because he was always you know he was he was very much an uncle ben just like well clark you got to do your best you know you've got great power you've got to you got to help them all out but except he didn't die he just kept going uh, with with mark kent um, up until the point where he dies of a heart attack um, and dying of a heart attack is once again a really important uh, thing to happen to Superman, because it just goes to show that even as good as he is, as uh, as much as he can save everyone, there are still pl- things that he can't stop. And heart attack would be Which one just of them. Humility. Absolutely. So he's humility still- of death, which I would argue. I mean, we can, you know, retrospective uh, vision is a fantastic thing, but we should have talked about last week but i mean that lack of humility in the face of death directly contributed towards the just sheer arrogance of his character's portrayal in batman v superman because this was a guy that just didn't give a fuck and not only that but he has never he never faced anyone well he had he had a schoolboy arrogance because he got his new clothes you know, he's got the leather jacket now, and he's he's off on the road. You know, he's got a new car. He's driving around or flying around in Superman's case. Uh, and then, uh, bam, alien invasion comes in. It's Zod. He's looking for, you know, the refugee. And, uh, and the world wants to give that refugee back. Which, you know, draw that what you will in, uh, in, in current events. I'm sure people will. And it, 
Yep. I think it's giving way too much credit to uh, the movie and its writers to assume that they actually meant that as some sort of any, like, even vague allegory. But, uh, well, hey, you know, that's uh, for other people to decide, I'm sure. Yeah, and then, so you have never you never see uh, Superman uh, make a name for himself uh, before uh, being uh, branded as a as this refugee. Um, and that's a thing. This is well, the reason why this alien race has come down and made mm. contact is because of this person that they have no idea of. The only person and that the, really knows yeah. is Lois Lane, who was very like it was it was very easy for for her to backtrack and find out who this uh, this um, this stranger was. Yes, again, I mean, like we can talk about this until I I drop from lack of oxygen. But the amount of narrative convenience in this movie is simply fucking awe-inspiring. It doesn't because, I mean, make any sense. Yeah, because she meets him once on the Kryptonian ship in Antarctica, and then suddenly she interviews two former bosses, and then she just finds his house, and that's it. The end. Greatest fucking investigative reporter ever. Woodward and Bernstein would fucking bow down to this woman. <laughs> solved a mystery in like what I can assume cinematically is like, you know, one or two months, what, you know, anyone else would have taken goddamn years to solve through fucking breadcrumb, you know, notions of story and uh, <laughs> allegations. But uh, you know what? Never mind because, uh, yeah, movie. And yet two years on, uh, world's greatest detective, uh, Batman, couldn't find out who Superman was. During that entire time, no, not at all. Because it's not like it's not like they looked alike. Absolutely, yes. it's not like he a close-up look at both of them in different guises and had any chance, you know, through like a let's say a turgid dramatic pause to kind of uh, observe these characters and uh, tell the difference. Because uh, yeah, no, that'd just make that'd just make no sense. Because you never you never do see. Uh, like Superman and, and Clark Kent are really the same person throughout this film until the very last scene uh, when Clark, uh, you know, puts on the glasses and then he's working at the Daily Planet now, which is very strange because I don't think he has any credentials for it. No, he's because it was, never the, it was never built up the same way that like Smallville or any of the other ones did where like, you know, he was the school reporter and he... He built his fucking resume up, and then, like, you know, when he got the, you know, big gig in the newspaper, you're like, all right, yeah, no, I get that. I understand that narrative progression. That makes sense, for heaven's sake. But, I mean, it, it kind of also, um, well, I had a point, but I forgot it. Never mind, keep going. Yeah. Well, yeah, he just, it, it is once again, like, as you were saying before, he's just given it because the plot demands that he needs to, he needs to wear this suit, you know, this, you know, Superman's attire, and he needs to be Clark Kent, who works at the Daily Planet. Actually, no. I've just remembered. I remembered exactly what my point. <laughs> Sorry, but it's it's going to be it's going to be a dig about maybe Superman. But I know you're not going to be upset about that, really. Never am. Is um just because I was thinking of it before and I thought of it again now. Look, uh, the the ending of that movie basically said that uh, all right, like they had the big fucking you know hero's funeral for Superman, and at the exact same time. 
splashed in the newspapers and they have this very personal, like, you know, uh, burial for Clark Kent. So my question is, when he presumably comes back for Justice League, how do they fucking scan that Superman and Clark Kent basically both return to life at exactly the same time and no one asks any questions about that? I feel like they're just going to sweep it under the rug, much the same way as how... Oh, I forgot about the rock. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the plot hole rug. Oh, it's been in the corner for years. I had, I'd almost forgotten that it was there. <laughs> Why? Or, you know, might as well, uh, you know, the Jor-El, you know, Deus Ex father comes in and just snaps his fingers and be like, no one remembers who Clark Kent even was anymore. Russell Crowe, you know, throughout it, he he really uh, you know gets his money's worth in on this film, uh, far more than uh, you know Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando uh, ever did, yeah. yeah. But again, a lot of his um, uh, dialogue to um, uh, you know Cal is basically a slightly different bent on uh, what Park Kent is basically dishing to him, mm. which is uh, basically, uh, in the most simplistic terms possible, you are superior to these people. You are not here to represent them or to save them. You are there to basically, I mean, like Russell Crowe in the movie says, you are there to give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. But that distilled with, like, Parkett's, uh, you know, eulogies is basically saying you are there to, like, for lack of a better word, be another fucking, like, be a god for them, you know? Well, I mean, yeah. I know, but he actually token. he says that as well at the start of the movie, like, you know... Um, you will be a I, god to these people, you know, yeah, you will have like, such like, strength. They, and... they, they, they will kill him. How? He will be a god so, like, at the very first, in the first 15 minutes of the film, they are not painting this guy as just some bloke from another world that, like, learns to be what it is to be human. This is a guy who is an alien first and a human second. And that resonates throughout the entire film as someone who just doesn't quite fit in, like, but not because he's, like, unfamiliar with humanity or he's like still learning but because he doesn't want because he's been consistently told that he doesn't need to that he either doesn't fit in and because he doesn't fit in he needs to shut the fuck up yeah and <laughs> that happens so much with many people and and this is and then this film goes goes ahead and says yeah you know what these, you know, these two fathers that that uh, you know Superman has, they they're both correct. You should be that this, you know, you should be seen, and then people, you know, uh, draw conclusions about you. Uh, and you also should fit in. You should, you know, you need to you need to pipe down, otherwise, you know, things could go very wrong. If you if you ever show any sort of uh, individuality. Oh gosh, I did. And it's just this is, you know, these are these are two, um, you know, in in the comics, uh, these are two fathers who are, are so loving. You know, these are basically, you know, this is a, a God and Joseph sort of thing where they they both love uh, their 
you know, this this boy uh, that they are, and they want him to be the best that he can be. And the whole point of, I mean, like, you know, you know, can't believe I'm actually doing this, but I mean, like, the whole point of, oh, dare I say it, basically, <laughs> the, the Christ story in general was basically that he was the best of both a god, or sorry, beg your pardon, Christians, the god and humanity. Yeah. He was the fucking natural middle between both of those impulses. But the, better the, than uh, both of them. But better than both because he had both. Hmm. He had the perspective of both sides, and then you could find the middle ground that was just that absolute fucking sweet spot of, you know... And that is always and that has always been what Superman's about. He is the yeah, he is a you know Christ like figure. You know, he's you know, it's um you know, in the comic books it's it's far more about like Moses that he's um, you know, he's taken to the uh to the river and, and pushed down pushed down it in the basket, uh, where the next family uh gets him and, and raises him and he becomes a great man. You know, that's there's, there's always been those uh, religious overtones to this character. And yet, Snyder refu- you know, Snyder and Goya refuse uh, to uh, actually put that into the character and merely just sh- um, allude to it. They just go, you know, yes, you know, the, look at this imagery. Yes, he is a, you know, he is a deity. Uh, who we should all be uh, worshipping, but never give you reason to actually want to. So given everything that we've uh, discussed uh, up until this point, how do you think uh, this all manifests both in, uh, you know, positive and, let's to be honest, far more negative ways in the, the climax, the final battle between... Superman and Zod, the supposed two uh, completely conflicting ideologies that I would personally argue at the outro actually don't seem to be too different, and both the, like the context of the battle and how that manifested itself as basically a complete dichotomy of uh, what the character of Superman represented. Yeah, it's okay. So it's this whole thing, and, and Michael Shannon is the best thing about this film. Like, of of course he is. Of course he is. It's Michael goddamn it's, Shannon. And is the best thing about most films ever. Yeah, and so he really brings it to this whole thing, and it's really unfortunate that the rest of the film kind of lets him down. Um, he chews the shit out of this, much like a Zod should. Terence Howard. I feel like he's the only guy that actually truly understood what kind of movie they should have been making. Mm. Yeah, and so and so he handed the fuck up, and people criticised him after the fact for being too over the top. But I mean, like my personal opinion was that he was the only guy that was actually on the level that everyone else should have been upon. That is what Zod is. He is a malicious dictator who is driven by his mission. No, his mission is. In this instance, is to protect Krypton, is to make sure that it survives. That is what he did, and and so it is. It was a you know a perfect character in that that you know of course 
He's doing everything he can to do it. And then Superman stops that. And then he unleashes himself. He unleashes himself on Superman and the entirety of Metropolis. Unfortunately, Superman's okay with that because he doesn't know about collateral damage. He's, no. you know, every time that we've seen him uh, be who he, uh, you know, be the superhero that he is, you know, he's on an oil rig um, where it doesn't really matter if uh, the entire thing goes down uh, because it's in the middle of the ocean and, uh, you know, fuck the uh, natural e- ecosystem. Right, Superman? Hell yeah. Yeah, so, like, he's never, he's never had that so- that amount of accountability. You know, he's still operating in an amount of anonymity, um, much like he then continued to do in Batman versus Superman. So he doesn't give a shit that Metropolis is basically falling down in order for uh, for him to defeat Zod. And you know no. they, they got rid of you know he dealt with the Doctor Octopus uh, uh, world engine. In the Indian Ocean, you know, he dealt with that, and that was a weird scene to watch. His facial expressions um, were strange. Did you did you actually notice? Because I did on uh, my most recent viewing that they, uh, when he's standing in the the laser just before he blasts through it heroically, the. Uh, gravitational pressures on his face, and I actually read this up afterwards because I was curious, and it turns out it was deliberate, the pressures on his face actually transform his face into the face of Christopher Reeve. Oh, really? Really. That's and, fascinating. Uh, it is, just because of the, the the absolutely like borderline hilarious dichotomy of... This is not Christopher Reeve, Superman. Of, the notion that they could somehow conflate these two characters as being similar. They are not. Christopher Reeves literally turned back time in order to do the right thing. That is yeah. what that Superman did. This Superman. Whereas, whereas, and I mean, I, at this point, I think we could, like, if we look past the context of um, Batman v Superman or anything like that, this is a Superman that to do the right thing allowed thousands upon possibly millions of people to die. And yet, of course, we get to the get to the strangest part of this film to me. Even worse than the Park Kent uh, because I, I thought that was that could have been salvaged and yet it didn't. Um, yeah. No, it is the, 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 the killing of Zod. Right. Um, I mean, cause, I mean, we we can be perfectly honest about that, uh, viewers. I mean, uh, this is a a character that straight up doesn't kill, yeah. and he okay. kills someone. Yes, Superman, Batman, every superhero has killed in one issue or another. Yes, that yeah, is the case. Were those canon issues, or they they were, but they were also in the Silver Age. They were just they were just little issues now and again it also takes you know a you know a that you know hundreds of issues of the the one writer for them to kind of go you know what fuck it let's get him to kill someone because it's going to uh spice up my ability to write something you know it's not the first film 
and it just certainly, it certainly shouldn't be excused because, because this is what Snyder has said. He, Superman had to have killed someone, so he knows that killing is bad. And I feel like this goes back to like what you you were basically saying before is that if the character of Pa Kent had been done properly, if uh, the origin story of Krypton had been handled the way it should have been, if uh, Jor-El had been the, even if it was still the hologram, the construction of what Jor-El should have been, all of these influences would have basically uh, taken Superman towards the decision that he absolutely shouldn't have killed this guy. That it, I mean, and to, even to take it back, like, you know, 30 minutes earlier in the film, that he should never have even let a fucking battle take place in a populated area. The, the, the lack of regard for value of life in this film is just quite simply staggering. Yeah, it is. And, you know, Snyder has also said, you know, Oh well, uh, you know, Star Wars killed uh, five planets like it was nothing. No, but that's an intergalactic war, and it was done by the villains. Yeah, these deaths were (laughs) weren't helped by Superman. He should have done better. He does. I mean, if, if if anything, the way in which the fight was choreographed, it made it seem that basically, like Superman's incompetence in fighting a threat similar to his strength as Zod was, I mean, if he'd been a more competent fighter, none of this would have happened, or at least, like, severely less than this would have happened. This is basically, like, I mean, like, the whole movie is basically propping up this idea that this guy's an amateur. He doesn't really know. I mean, he doesn't want to be Superman, really, or also maybe he does, but, you know... Um, having this like final battle basically being the proving ground for his uh, ascendancy to the Superman collar feels utterly contrary to the ethos of what Superman should be. And this, it, and it, this basically, it basically discounts itself. And this is supposed to be the film that starts a universe. And that's and just... God. And I know we were talking about like the the story and the ethos and the ideology and a lot this uh, discussion, and I understand that we are approaching the end here, but I need to take a second, basically, just to discuss the the technical aspects of the movie on a visual sense. I mean, in terms of construction and special effects. I mean, like, look, I can't really fault it. I mean, they did within the context of what the movie was trying to do. They did what they were going to do. Fine, whatever. But I mean, like, my whole like grievance and it is a major grievance is the uh, utter incomprehensibility of the action not only and, and so incomprehension of the of the action also at the start of the film when there wasn't much action there was the the strange edits of uh flashbacks within flashbacks um you know, jumping. Which again, it's just, which is, it's curious because I mean, uh, I guess we could uh, suggest that the uh, common narrative element in both this movie and Batman v Superman is uh, your darling man, David Escoya. I mean, but I mean, this is, this is a movie that once again, similar to Batman v Superman, and I swear to Christ, 
neither of us can go on about this enough, but editorially speaking, in terms of scene selection and narrative progression, was an absolute clusterfuck from start to finish. It's, it's I understand. I, I mean, I understand if you want to do, you know, early day, you know, uh, uh, to style hyperlink filming where you show the start, and but you also show something before the start, and then it all sort of makes sense later on. But even in Inuritu, fuck that up with twenty one grams. That movie made no fucking sense. I mean, like, I don't understand like why there's this like notional thing. I mean, like, look, if you want to try and actually do a movie where you show a scene and then show a prequel scene that is meant to demonstrate the consequence of the scene that just happened, all I can say is you better be fucking good at it. And this movie was not. I mean, it made absolutely... I mean, look, I mean, I'm, I'm being kind here, although this is like the lowest bar in history that you have to actually hurdle. It was more coherent than Batman v Superman. There, I said it. But then again, most films are. So, I mean, like when you actually look at these sorts of um, choices, you have to actually wonder, like, what were they trying to do? Because there's no, I mean, like, uh, on a certain extent, it kind of works, I guess. It keeps the audience guessing what's going to come next or anything like that. That's a very facile excuse, really, because at the end of the day, what you actually don't provide the audience is any sense of narrative through line or um, sort of holistic mounting motivation for the character. What you have a, is a sense of disparate scenes that all, in some sort of like holistic sense, vaguely make sense, but like really don't. And so you get this, um, the end result, which is uh, the, the climactic scene, you know, the battle between uh, Superman and Zod, which, uh, to be like, honest, maybe it's audience fatigue. Maybe it's just my fatigue. Was, know. That last 20 minutes was just, it was, a, it was a slog, and it was just this weird, this weird, like, Zod going, you know, I've trained my entire life to make sure that my senses were being, I've, you know, this is now my final form, you know, prepare to fight me. This is the, you know, this is the boss battle. Yeah. Wow. It was structured in such a, a, such a strange way. It doesn't look like, like, if you put these, if you put this and Batman versus Superman up against Watchmen, you wouldn't believe that it is the same goddamn director. You wouldn't actually, and I've got to like sort of ask what your opinion on um, the the manifold difference in uh, camera, uh, sorry, beg your pardon, camera work that like you know exists between Snyder pre Man of Steel, pre his uh, sort of you know Justice League uh, filmic coterie, and post, because if you look at the films that came before. And then the ones that come after, specifically this one and Batman v Superman, you wouldn't think it's the same director because this is a man that, like, in my early days and his early days as being a filmmaker, I mean, like, I marvelled at what he was able to do with the camera. If you look at 300. Well, they were all intentional and, shots. Exactly. And you, look at, and you look at Watchmen as well. This was a man that very, very rarely strayed from a steady cam. That 
understood the art of a long shot. And I mean that in the length, sorry, not in the in the uh, zoom or anything like that. But this is understood that uh, clarity of action and geography of said action was paramount. But then again, most good directors do. And so it's fascinating to me that you can look at something like 300 where through setup and through even the context of the battle itself, he has constructed the entire landscape upon which the scene is going to take place. And so whatever comes after that, you understand that whatever happens is at least not factually true, then geometrically true. And it's the same thing that happens with uh, Watchmen. Establishment, mid-shot, action shots are always held at the mid to long. If it's a close-up, it's to show uh, a singular and immediate emotion of the character, but otherwise it cuts back to mid because the director understands, like, so many people do, but also so many people very, very don't. And if you don't see the whole body of the actor in the shot, you don't believe that that shit's actually taking place. You think it's going to be a fucking special effect. And so you look at stuff like that. You look at this glorious, you know, elongated, slow-mo, cam work. You look at the first extended battle scene in 300 where he basically just tracks Leonidas along the battlefield, you know, dollies in and out as necessary, but basically just holds and holds and then holds a little fucking more until you actually are truly impressed. And all of those scenes in that movie, but especially that scene in particular, because I feel like it was like his basically, his kind of like, you know, welcome, you know, to the band sort of thing. Like, this is what I can do. Please pay attention to me. It just, I, I find it infathomable on any kind of logical sense that he would then transition to the Paul Greengrass docudrama shaky cam motherfuckery of Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. And the only uh, reason I can come up with is that basically uh, he looks at movies like that. He looks at the shaky cam films, the Bourne films or something like, you know, to that uh, similarity and basically decides that if the ethos that Nolan wants to prescribe for this reality is absolute realism and, you know, basically kind of like almost, oh gosh, you were there... I'm going to throw in the shaky cam and uh, the cinematographer whose name I actually forget, but he basically said that his inspiration for uh, the cinematography of man of steel was the uh, reboot of Battlestar Galactica. Oh, really? Really? Galactica worked though. And I mean that sincerely because that was a film that was basically about the grittiness of humanity, about the, the, the drama of like uh, uh, humanity on the borderline of genocide, but like for a film that like you know at least normally speaking is meant to be about like hope and joy and a creature or a, a humanoid that basically embodies the best of us and like can show us that going forward we can be better. It wasn't the right filmic style. I mean the the color palette. Once again, very muted. Was so muted, was so dead. Yeah, Superman's attire is the most colourful thing that's out there, and even then, even such then, muted reds and muted yeah. blues. Like, 
this is not, this is not, a, you know, if this is a Superman film where there are three to four scenes where it's taking place in a cemetery. Yeah. And that's insanity. This is, this is not, this is not a Superman film that I would be proud to show my children to be like, you know, this is, this is, this is a story about someone who's trying to do the best that they possibly can. No, and I agree with you. But what I would show this to my children, God forbid that I ever have any audience, that's never going to happen, by the way, unless I make a serious mistake later in life, um, is basically that this film is not a Superman film. I will never show this to any uh, ancestors of mine or, well, anyone in particular, whether they be related to me or not, as a Superman film. What this is, is for better or for worse, an incredibly well uh, constructed Aliens Among Us film. And if you did an edit of this movie that removed all references of Superman, you changed the planet Kryptonites to some other shit, you know what? As much as I hate to say it, I think this would be a watchable movie. And part of me thinks that like a lot of like the what the grievances we've had tonight are basically because of this film's massive middle finger towards the ethos of what Superman actually is. And it's it's funny, I'd be curious to actually see, you know, what our reactions to this would be if this was just you know like that movie Hancock? Yeah. You know? I... If that was if that was, I mean, like, if because I mean, it's funny because those films, like, constructively speaking, in terms of the way they were filmed, are kind of like the same beast. But if 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 someone had just like brought this film to the masses with no outward references of Superman, I kind of wonder what people would have thought. Yeah, that's yeah. If this yeah, this could have been a good film if it wasn't the film that it was. Yeah. Oh God. Well, I'm <laughs> Jesus. That's that's about the worst thing you could say about a film ever. It was great. That it was trying to be exactly what it was. <laughs> I can think I of like no it. better place to end it on that. I was gonna say I like it, except for everything that it was. <laughs> God Almighty. All right. Well, I feel like we've exhausted our audience. Um, I, I think that is. I think that is it for this episode. Uh, although, I, although I would argue a lot shorter than the last episode. You're welcome, everyone on the internet. <laughs> so, um, before we go, let's uh, tease ever so briefly what we're going to uh, discuss for our next week. And Josh and I basically both decided that we have absolutely had enough of uh, bloated. Uh, self-serious overblown uh, superhero movies for at least a little while. Well, at least until, uh, until God, Civil I hope good Civil War comes out. But uh, before that, uh, next week's movie is going to be Dearest Joshy. Yeah, we're going to be uh, watching uh, Creed, the uh, the slight Eat. reboot to uh, to Rocky, with the and or spiritual remake. Absolutely, I I look. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. 
I have and I'm, been... and I'm quite excited as well, actually, to be honest, man. I really am. Yeah, this is this is we're now getting we've we're we're out of the woods now and we're starting to 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 watch some films that we actually really enjoy watching. This is the thing. This is what's going to happen. We'll watch films that we have to watch because, God damn it, we're, we're you know, we're men of the people and uh, what the people want is what the people get. But uh, you know what? A lot of the time, we're going to just gotta fucking watch pi- uh, pictures that we want to watch. And uh, hell with you if you think others- otherwise, unless you do think otherwise, in which case comment on uh, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, or our website, in which case uh, I assume we'll probably uh, dramatically yeah, well, re- listen, uh, if you, ethos. If you, know, if you are enjoying this, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us, uh, you know, rise up, get more, you know, listeners. Uh, you know, currently, you know, as of this recording, we are a place behind the Brendan Fraser Appreciation Podcast. Brendan. What? Yep, so I personally want to get in front of that. Uh, you know, so if you could... It's uh, a big art. It's, it's a big fucking art. It's a big art. They haven't got to the money yet. So uh, I think we've got, to, we've got a bit of time. So listeners, please uh, send us a review. Um, yeah, we would uh, really appreciate it. Uh, you can also head over to our website. It's fromthesilverscreen.com. Uh, follow us there. You can find all of our social media links. Uh, you can find myself on Twitter. I'm at Josh Dragenza. Damien, you don't have a Twitter, but where can people find uh, you if they want to uh, uh, talk with you? If people want to find me, you can find me on uh, both Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I'm quite a frequent, unfortunate presence on both of those uh, social media platforms. So by all means, uh, be the the person that reaches out and discusses. I also monitor the uh official came from the silver screen uh, Facebook page. So if you have any questions or queries or anything like that, or you want to see less of me, you can absolutely troll me on that page. I will read it and then probably ignore it afterwards. But uh, you know what power to you as a human being, you know, I I wish you all the best, but uh, I think that is it for us at the moment, uh, Josh. So uh, congratulations on coming in at uh, under less than two hours and uh, mate, I will see you next week. I'll see you next week for Creed. Thanks, everyone. Woo! Woo-hoo!